This is the We Know Training Show, your source for the latest info on online training and how real leaders are using e-learning to transform, manage, and grow real businesses and associations. Broadcasting from Edmonton, Canada, this is your host, Colton Narabeski. Welcome and thanks for listening to the very first episode of the We Know Training Show, where we talk about everything e-learning and online training, from course building to LMSs and distribution. I'm your host, Colton Narabeski with We Know Training, and to kick off our channel today, we are very lucky to have fantastic first guest on our show, Dr. Yasmin Krambedine with ProTraining.com. Yasmin is a world-renowned mental health awareness and de-escalation training expert who works with first responders and a variety of other frontline organizations globally and offers online training in addition to her seminars and workshops. Yasmin, thanks so much for making time today to be on our show. I know you're busy with some big things in the pipeline this coming week for Canadian police governance, and we're all working from home amidst the COVID-19 situation, so I'm really happy this worked out. Thank you, Colton. I'm, I'm so excited to be here, and I'm happy that we can make this work virtually uh, as we practice safe social distancing. Absolutely. Yeah, so basically, ProTraining.com, uh, you've been with the company for how many years at this point? It has been about five years. Okay. Awesome. So I guess to kick off, I'd love if you could give a quick self-introduction about who you are and the work you do with ProTraining.com. Definitely. So my background, I have a PhD in psychiatry and I've been working in this field of mental health and de-escalation training for the last nine years now. Um, wow. To define de-escalation for the audience, it's about teaching, I guess, specific techniques or strategies that a person can use to, I guess, decrease or prevent any sort of conflict or violence. Mm -hmm. um, and I deliver the only evidence-based de-escalation training in the world right now. Um, and although my training started to be delivered to police officers uh, through in-person training, it actually has expanded. Uh, and now through pro training, I actually deliver training to other groups such as university protective services, busing professionals, housing professionals. I've made training for paramedics, so emergency medical services, and wow. most recently some government frontline organizations in Canada, um, the USA and the Netherlands. So what's exciting about pro training is that I could train both online and in person. And I've actually, I've made it my life's mission to kind of create this practical training to make frontline interactions safer. That's very cool. So de-escalation training, I guess that's uh, very focused on keeping the practitioners uh, safe and, and out of harm's way in kind of high tension, uh, you know, potentially violent situations, potentially dangerous situations. Exactly. Keeping the practitioner safe, but also keeping the people that they're interacting with safe. Okay. So you become quite renowned as a de-escalation training expert around the world. Uh, what types of, of events are you speaking at this year? Definitely. So later this week, actually, I'm giving a webinar to um, a group. They're the Canadian Association of Police Governance. And the webinar is going to be about kind of innovations and in research on de-escalation. And I'll be speaking about what qualities need to be present in de-escalation training to make sure that it's evidence informed and to make sure that it actually works. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Um, another conference that I love speaking at and I attend every year that it's available, it's the Law Enforcement and Public Health Conference. It's actually taking place in March of 2021 in Philadelphia. And this conference, it's my favorite uh, because it, it creates the safe space for law enforcement and public health professionals to kind of come together and create solutions to issues that can't really be solved by law enforcement or public health alone. Okay. Um, and since, 
since LEPH, they call it, was scheduled for 2021. It hasn't been canceled yet. <laughs> However, most of the other events this year, unfortunately, have been postponed or canceled. Um, but eventually, I hope to speak at, I guess, police, maybe transit, housing, and other first responder conferences in Canada and the United States this year. That's very cool. Lucky we live in the age of video conferencing and uh, camera calls. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk for a second about how you got into mental health awareness and de-escalation research in the first place. Okay, so this is, it's a long story and it goes way back, but I think it's really important oh, to kind of hear the background. Um, so my parents and grandparents, they're, they're all immigrants from the same small town in Lebanon. And Lebanon, it's, it's a beautiful country, but unfortunately, it's constantly caught in the crossfire of war and economic hardship. And if you look at Lebanon geographically, it's actually located between Israel and Syria. Mm -hmm. And because of this continued violence, communication has never been the culture's strong suit, as you might imagine. So I remember growing up and never never really having the words to say what I needed to say. And it just kind of, it led me to pursue an undergraduate degree in, um, I think I did a double major in biological sciences and science psychology, but my goal was actually to become a psychologist. So I was a middle child out of four siblings and I was kind of always the mediator in my family, trying to hold the peace. Um, and I came to believe that my life's purpose was actually to help people to communicate so that eventually led me down the path to pursue a PhD in psychiatry at the University of Alberta. Mm -hmm. And I was gonna use that as a stepping stone to become a psychologist. So interestingly enough, I was actually supposed to study fMRI brain scans on sex addicted individuals, um, but the funding fell through and my supervisor at the time said, hey, Yasmeen, I have this other project if you want. I need a grad student to create mental health training for a local police organization for communicating with those in crisis. Are you interested? And I just jumped at it. I was so excited to, to get that new opportunity. And that, I guess, is like the tiny piece of fate that defined the rest of my life, um, which is kind of, it's funny to say, but in my PhD, I worked with a local police organization to create and deliver uh, scenario-based de-escalation training, uh, mm -hmm. where we actually hired like over 14 actors and trained over 600 police officers over two months. Oh, wow. So like role-playing awesome. training. Exactly. Role-playing training. And our goal was really focusing on changing officer behavior okay. where, where the police officers and the actors would, would take over a scenario and be about 10 minutes long. And then afterwards the actor and the facilitators would give feedback to the participant about um, how they communicated, the de-escalation skills that they used, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So our goal was to really increase like officer confidence when interacting with those in, in crisis and in distress, yeah. just so that they would kind of know what worked and what didn't work in the real world. That's very cool. So that's kind of funny. It's almost everything has kind of been serendipitous for you, uh, just in terms of how your childhood informed your kind of goals and aspirations and what type of training you ended up getting into or research you ended up getting into. Um, I guess, you know, at that point, you kind of saw the potential and you realized that perhaps the work that you're doing with the university could actually be directly applied as training for police officers going forward. Definitely. So what's unique about our training, we that what on had actually lasting and positive changes afterwards. So this is actually rarely done after a training program is implemented. 
Um, okay. But what we found was that six months after training, their physical force decreased by 41%, wow. their weapon force decreased by 26%. So these are pretty big numbers. And not only did we decrease force, but we actually increased officer confidence and efficiency in mental health calls. And yeah. we decreased officer complaints as well. That's um, it is amazing. And what's interesting is that these results, again, were taken six months after training and finding these behavioral changes so long mm -hmm. after training, training is a very rare thing. Um, but by evaluating the training and finding that it worked, we could then call the training evidence-based, yeah. uh, making it the only evidence-based training in the world. And because of these kind of results, then we knew we had something special and that we could kind of directly offer training to other police groups because we knew it worked. That's, that's actually, that's fantastic. It's, uh, it's not often that you hear about such kind of like long longevity and results from any type of training, whether it be online, offline, role-playing, uh, six months is a significant period of time. Um, at what point did you begin making the transition from research to business, would you say? So you, you had some effective training on your hands. You could see that there were actual evidence-based results. Um, what, what took you from the academic world to the business world? It's quite a big jump. Definitely. So after my PhD finished, that happened at the end of 2014, yeah. um, my supervisor and I were kind of, we started getting contacted by different groups to train them um, because the, we had published papers and so we were just getting contacted by different groups. And we, we connected with the university and they told us that the only way to kind of continue to develop and distribute our training would actually be to create a university spin-off company. So my supervisor, Dr. Peter Silverstone, uh, he was talking with a colleague at the time who was kind of in love with the idea of training to help the world to stay safe. And if you think about it, like police officers, they interact with thousands of people in a year through their work. So if we could find a way to advance their skills, training would literally help keep the world safer because every person that they interact with, they would have these skills to interact with them. So um, these investors, there was Chris Labossier, uh, Don Reap and Greg Kirilek from Yardstick at the time. So they invited us into their office space and then pro training was born. Um, and we also were able to, to bring on an experienced retired police officer, Bob Hassel, uh, just to kind of make sure that everything we created was in line with police training uh, and this actually happened one month after my PhD. It serendipitously fell into place. So when you got into the business of training officers for mental health awareness and de-escalation techniques, what were some of the major goals you had coming again from that kind of perspective of having been an academic and now being all of a sudden in the business world? Right. So I would say one of the main goals was to make sure that like one training could be delivered anywhere around the world. Uh, and so to answer this goal, the answer was to create an online course that would kind of complement the in-person course. Okay. And um, what's neat is that I knew that through research, I could help more than just one person at a time. So this is another reason why I didn't go into becoming a psychologist, because as a psychologist, you could do one-on-one -on -one therapy sessions. Mm -hmm. uh, but through research, I, I trained over 40 people in one day in person. But if you, once you bring in this online training into the picture, the numbers expand even more. You can train an infinite amount of individuals at one time across the whole globe. So there's kind of no restrictions. And I would say it's definitely a game changer. So the first goal, make sure that the training was online um, or could be online. The, the second goal is to make sure that training would relate to kind of all police organizations globally. 
Um, and to achieve this, we actually, we did something unique. We created an international advisory board and this advisory board included individuals from the UK, the Netherlands, uh, Sweden, we had people from Australia and New Zealand, and then of course USA and Canada. And kind of this board helped to create and they provided feedback on the online course, mm -hmm. um, which was really awesome. So we had police officers, uh, police educators, uh, some mental health professionals there, some academic researchers, also, we incorporated some adult educators, so e-learning experts as well. Um, and then throughout the online training, we actually sprinkle individuals with lived experiences of mental illness. They kind of gave us feedback and we included that in, in audio recordings in the training. Oh, wow. So that's, that was the second goal is to, again, make sure it could apply to everyone around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's two more goals, so bear with me. Uh, the <laughs> third goal was to, I guess, make sure that the online training was engaging. So we ended up creating a training program that has learners interacting through lots of video-based e-learning. Okay. So we ended up making four scenarios in our training, each scenario portraying a different, uh, I guess, mental health issue. And we wanted to make it as interactive as possible, just so our learners weren't getting bored. So we, we used lots of first-person video where you kind of get to choose what you want to do next. And depending yeah. on what you choose, it kind of determines how the interaction plays out. Lots of gamification. Definitely. Yeah, I think there's this kind of stigma of online training. It's like, oh, it's going to be a PowerPoint presentation type thing or a series of videos and you watch it, you sit there and you just absorb. And then at the end, you check your box that you finished. But that's that's obviously not what you were going after, trying to replicate those results that you had from your research, right? Exactly. Um, and I guess with that, the reason why sometimes people do kind of the typical PowerPoint slides is because like funding isn't usually available. Yeah. So it does cost a little bit more money to kind of create that interactive aspect using the video. But I would say it is so beneficial because at the end of the day, you've created this amazing program that is, it's like a game and it's really fun and interactive. And that's how people learn the best is when okay. they're enjoying it. Very cool. And sorry, I interrupted you, but you had a fourth goal as well. Yeah, definitely. So the first, the fourth goal is to kind of continue to complement the online training with our in-person training course mm -hmm. uh, that are, I guess, the evidence is based on the in-person training. So online training is a great first step, but it is the in-person training that can, I guess, further enhance those hands-on skills. Um, there's, there's just something very special about interacting with an actor in an environment, like a safer environment, but yeah. there's that like increased pressure and that increased um, realism, just when you're, it's, it's more realistic. Um, yeah, no doubt. no doubt. Well, especially in the of work where, you know, it's, it's, it is fairly high tension, right? Like feeling that tension as a human being, that's a, that's a very visceral thing that, you know, it helps to have that person in front of you. Um, so I'm hearing basically your four goals when you're taking this from kind of the research side and getting into the business of training officers, uh, you had scalability, accessibility, engagement, and then that kind of blended learning goal of having a complimentary offline and, or sorry, online and offline training. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And overall, like the big picture is to, to create kind of like a turnkey solution almost with police groups to kind of help them um, overall to minimize mental health deaths. Like we see that on the news um, less often now, but more before, as well as helping them in crisis situations. Um, also, lots of organizations, they want to decrease liability and yeah. just overall increase officer and public safety. So 
Absolutely. That's the goal. It's a really unique audience um, and very unique situation. Uh, what type of challenges did you face in making this training? Yes, challenges make us stronger. So there was plenty of challenges along the way. Um, I guess I could break the challenges into kind of both online challenges and in-person challenges. Sure. So I would say with the online training, uh, the, ch the first challenge was to make sure that training was engaging. And so because of that, we had to use that in-person video. Um, but the challenge of that is that making sure that like when you're filming, there's like continuity. So when you're filming, making sure that after you film one scene that the person isn't one step to the left or one step to the right. So that was definitely really challenging, but kind of fun to, to kind of see behind the scenes of video making. Um, another challenge I would say was getting kind of the feedback from the different advisory board members since they were around the world. It was a bit challenging at times to kind oh, of cool. compile that up and, and make sure that we were on the right track. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the final challenge was finding actors to play the police roles in the training. So what we ended up doing is actually we found actual police officers who acted um, and we decided on real police officers because they already kind of knew what was the correct uh, way to stand and position and we wanted to make the training as realistic as possible and that was kind of the only way to do it. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, and then challenges in terms of the in-person training. Um, so I guess one of the main challenges is that I just had to make sure that like the actors and facilitators were just trained really well so that they could give effective feedback. Yeah. Um, because effective feedback is so important. It's like one of the basis of learning. It helps you to learn and to remember. And there could be, t there were times where an actor would say, oh, that was great. And when you have that, that doesn't really enhance the learning. Yeah. So we need like more in-depth feedback. Like an example, like when you stood over me, it made me feel really scared of you. Cause like some officers might not know that. Yeah. Um, and so that's again, where the learning happens. So it's really important that they give effective feedback and kind of what we've learned is to really I guess, pay attention when we're hiring. So just making sure that either this actor has been like a standardized patient for a medical university program where they like train doctors, they, they hire standardized patients, they call them um, and they give feedback. Uh, or the other option is just to make sure that you're hiring an actor that has like experience in giving feedback in their career or everyday role. That's really interesting. It sounds like, you know, you have an idea, you've got the training, you have the research all done, and then like you're ready to produce the training. And it's not as simple as it might sound at first. Like you actually need to, you need to become a bit of an expert in producing training to have an effective translation of your ideas and your goals and objectives into something that's, you know, scalable and accessible and engaging and all those things that you talked about. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the final challenge with the in-person training, and I, I haven't really talked about this before, but I guess it, what comes up is kind of myself. I have a PhD in psychiatry and, and sometimes there's this kind of perceived lack of credibility since oh. I don't have a policing background. Right. So I, I have actually been told to my face, um, like you're just a researcher. What do you know about policing? Or there have been assumptions kind of that I haven't really had to deal with these escalated incidents in real life. Right. So to kind of, to address these issues, I just, I make a point of addressing the fact that I myself, I have extensive experience in de-escalating those in crisis because I spent many years kind of volunteering for a local distress line where I would take calls from like anything from in-progress suicide calls to somebody extremely angry or traumatized that something happened to them. Yeah. Um, 
And I also have many years experience working in customer service area. And so these skills can directly translate. Um, so as long as you kind of let groups know that you have that sort of background, it increases your credibility. Uh, but to, to kind of handle the police officer side of things, I run all of my training through a police officer colleague that kind of approves it or kind of tells me change this, change that. Yeah. Um, and then if cost allows, I actually bring on a police officer as one of my facilitators, just so they are present to kind of back up the information that I'm training on. How quickly did demand for the training grow once it was kind of out in the market? Right. So once it was on the market, I would say the training itself, it, the demand grew very organically. Okay. So I continued to train police groups and then sort of through word of mouth and kind of different internet searches people would do, they would find me. And then I started getting other groups interested in taking the training. Um, so I've actually first after police officers, I, I created training for kind of like a transit organization. So okay. a group wanting training for bus operators. Um, and what was unique about this group is that they had two different groups of employees. One that worked on smaller buses for individuals with disabilities. And then the other group that worked on kind of the bigger buses that kind of transit individuals on specific routes. Yeah. And so with this training, we made it as realistic as possible. And we actually parked buses in a parking lot and participants had to actually uh, deescalate situations on the bus. Oh, wow. And so this, the situations and scenarios that we created for them were, were a little bit different. So we had um, on the smaller bus kind of specific disorders like autism, autism spectrum disorder and dementia. And then for the bigger bus, the scenarios revolved around uh, de-escalating individuals that were aggressive or intoxicated or paranoid. And then maybe they had a behavioral disorder. Wow. So that was the group of bus operators. Um, and then we got contacted by University Protective Services. Uh, so these are kind of the security groups that are at universities and kind of help keep the campus safe. So they, they connected with me and we, we held the training at a local university. And we had actually scenarios take place in like the dormitories as well as public areas, which was really fun. Oh. So uh, these scenarios were a bit different. They revolved around kind of aggression and paranoia and depression and suicide, uh, as well as anxiety or sexual assault. Oh. So there's lots of different scenarios that you could create amid the de-escalation realm. Um, and then following that, uh, we created training for a housing organization. Uh, which was really fun. What was unique about that group is that we created training not only in person, but we had training over the phone so that when they get calls of escalated people, you, we gave them strategies to be able to de-escalate them over the phone. Uh, most recently, we did training for a paramedic group, so emergency responders. Yep. And again, with this one, what was unique is we incorporated kind of uh, trauma and a trauma-informed care type session as well as kind of anxiety, aggression, addiction, um, as well as incorporating kind of how to de-escalate a colleague when they're in distress, mm. um, which was really unique. And then finally, the most recent one was creating training for frontline workers kind of in government organization. And again, the scenarios were a bit different. They revolved around kind of grief and trauma um, and aggression and kind of how to de-escalate those sorts of things. So it's, I really love what I do and I love how the material just continues to grow and yeah, um, our in-person training, as you could hear me speak right now, <laughs> it's all customized. So it like, depending on your needs, depending on what the organization is facing, yeah. I can create specific training for your needs and 
make sure that it's evidence informed and then I evaluate it afterwards to make sure that it's also evidence based afterwards too. At what point did you land on e-learning as a solution to scale the training audience? Yeah, I would, I would say that we knew right at the beginning that we needed an online solution uh, just because we wanted to reach a bigger audience. And it, it's important to make training available to everyone without having to restrict learners by location. Would you say that the online training that you provide at protraining.com is sufficient to drive measurable change in real world situations? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question. So instead of giving you my opinion, I actually have a bit of data to back up my answer. Okay. Um, I love data. I'm not sure if you knew this about me, but um, what I what I do every single time I do a training session is I take self-reported measures kind of before and after training where I ask learners to kind of rate your ability to communicate, rate your ability to de-escalate. Um, and again, we do this before and after training. And what I have found, the preliminary results show that um, people that take the online training have actually shown that they have self-reported confidence levels that are higher. Uh, they rate their ability to communicate and de-escalate those in crisis is higher. Uh, in addition to being able to de-escalate those with a mental health issue and those that may be aggressive. So the preliminary evidence is very positive. And um, so I would say I would need to do a little bit more testing, but I would say that it does help to drive that measurable change. But also we need to keep in mind that like training, it, it needs to be refreshed. We can't just do training once and expect it to kind of last forever. So similar to like CPR training, you need to take that every three years our hands-on training or online training, it also must be refreshed at minimum every three years, I would say. Okay, very cool. And how's the response been to having access to your training via an online course? Yeah, I would say the, the response has been extremely positive. Our online course is, it's well received because one, it's cost effective, so the yeah. organizations love it. Um, and also, since we did have an, a more of an opportunity, we were able to make training Kind of more engaging and more motivating with that in-person video um, and also like i love the training because you're able to kind of take these high risk situations and then train individuals in the safe environment so just being able to do that it allows for a number of prevention of violence in all different cases yeah that's awesome um, any major challenges that you would like to be able to address in the future with online training Definitely. So I would say since we do not really know what the future of in-person training will look like after COVID-19. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been working at the challenge of kind of trying to move my in-person training online without, without losing that experiential part of the training. So I'm not, I'm not sure how it's going to go, but in the future, I would love to address kind of this challenge of maybe incorporating actors, incorporating more hands-on training in more engaging ways online. Yeah, um, yeah I would say our in-person training is, it's quite high stress and high pressure and, and I just wanna find ways to incorporate that online. Yeah, so yeah. I would say stay tuned because I'm working on this challenge as we speak. That's awesome, you sound very innovative, I like it. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about protraining.com for a couple minutes here. Um, okay. you, know, you were able to put together an online course, but just having a course isn't enough necessarily to get that out in the market. So what's the process been like for you promoting online training on your website? So I would say that like having a website really helps in kind of explaining the training that you offer and 
for us or me specifically explaining the research behind the training, mm-hmm. I would say it's that itself, the website has made the process of kind of promoting our, our online training a bit easier and even our in-person training, just because it's something concrete that clients can see, they can read about, they can contact us if they have any questions. Yeah. Okay. And does your seminar and workshop audience typically expect you to have a website for them to check out? So usually I would say that we're contacted by like managers or kind of leaders in organization who want training for their employees. Sure. So when that's the case, the website is very useful because it's the gateway into the online training. So they have to go to the website to kind of log into the course and it helps, I would say with the credibility of the training for those individuals. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for our in-person training, if we create training for groups that is in-person, it's actually quite rare that participants would go to our website. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, And does your in-person business get leads from people who found the training online? Definitely. Yeah. So lately there have been groups searching for de-escalation training and when they come across our site, they're, they're very interested in their online and in-person kind of solution. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And what are some of your goals this year? And I guess next year in terms of building further e-learning. Okay. I'm so excited. So over (laughs) the past three years, I've created a model of de-escalation and I, I title it the ballet model. So it's kind of a way to visualize the step-by-step process for evidence-based de-escalation learning. So I have a little fun with it and I actually call it dancing through de-escalation, which is, it's really fun. So this online training that I'm developing, it's um, in development and scheduled to come out within the year, I'm hoping, Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's being created for a more general audience and I'm, I'm excited to share my model with the world, essentially. Um, so from, from my knowledge, it's the only de-escalation model in existence. Usually oh. what happens is there's just all these techniques and strategies, and it's like, here's de-escalation, and there's like a list of 30 to 50 techniques. And it's really hard to kind of put that into a step-by-step process. Yeah. So I've gone in and done that, and that's, again, what I'm working on for more e-learning this year. Very cool. That's, uh, yeah, it's a good time to be in the uh, e-learning business for sure with everything going on. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, all right, so we're kind of coming up on time today. So let's just kind of blast through uh, three final questions and then we'll get you on your way so you can continue preparing for your uh, webinar conference this coming weekend. Sounds good. Uh, number one, what is the biggest challenge you see to the future of running your training online? All right, so the biggest challenge I would say that since my training is most effective through hands-on scenarios using actors, as I mentioned previously, I kind of, I worry that a full online training um, is kind of going to be less effective, Um, but I guess I won't know until I test it. And I guess I plan to continue testing any training that I create just to make sure it is making a difference. Awesome. Evidence-based. I like it. And what is the biggest opportunity for people like yourself and other small to medium sized businesses in online training? So I would say it's a way to deliver training to many individuals. There's no limit on the number of people you can train. And it's, it's also important for the world to have access to your training, especially if it's training that kind of spreads information that can like save lives or even make lives easier. Absolutely. Uh, final question is, if you could make one additional course and have it out to market tomorrow, what would it be and why? 
Ah, uh, this is a this is a funny question that you ask because um, I actually my other hat I actually hold an adjunct assistant professorship at the University of Alberta in the Department of Psychiatry, and I, I currently hold a grant from the government of Alberta to create an evidence informed resiliency program for police officers okay. or police organizations. So it's actually training that we've created uh, for the organization that focuses on. A decreasing post-traumatic stress disorder in the organization itself through training that actually works. So the course is actually created. I'm so excited for it and I'm piloting it with a larger police organization right. and I actually hope to have the results later this year. Okay. Um, and again, like during this time, our first responders along with other frontline workers, they're being hit hard right now by COVID and kind of if I could have this training program out there for them tomorrow, I would. Yeah. Because I just, I appreciate all that they do for us and keeping us safe. No, absolutely. Too many good ideas and not enough time to, to make everything happen fast enough, it sounds like. Exactly. That's always the case. Yeah. Well, listen, I really appreciate you being on our show today and uh, being our inaugural episode for the We Know Training Show. Uh, for everybody listening, by all means, go check out protraining.com and, uh, you know, learn more about the programs that Yasmin is creating and some of the events that she's going to be speaking at this coming year. Uh, whether virtually or in person will, you know, yet to be determined. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. And we look forward to following up in the future and seeing, you know, where you take ProTraining.com. Thank you for having me. Did you get value from this episode of the We Know Training Show? Subscribe for more episodes and leave us a review. For free resources and more info about online training, check out weknowtraining.ca.